You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello to all you excellent, erudite, educated, eggheads, eager, and excited to escape ennui. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. I am your constantly curious co-host, Chris. And today, you're listening to a very special bonus episode. This is being released at the same time as your regular episode of Good Job Brain. And this special bonus is all about escape rooms. And that is why we have brought on a special guest for you. She's a writer, an artist, a professional puzzle maker, and she designs and runs escape rooms and other types of immersive environments as well. And she is... Laura E. Hall. Hi. Hello, Laura E. Hall. (laughs) We, We are bringing you on now. We're doing this now because you have just released a brand new book. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the book is called Planning Your Escape, subtitle Strategy Secrets to Make You an Escape Room Superstar. Yeah, the book is basically um, an introduction to the history of escape rooms. It kind of goes through the whole genre and history of immersive and talks about like why people play and what compels us to come together in, in sort of real life spaces and, and that kind of stuff. And then it also is a primer if you've never played an escape room before that teaches you like how to solve puzzles and how to recognize codes and the kind of things to expect when you're going into a room for the first time. So there's a little something for everybody in it. So before we get too into things, and I want to come back to the book in a little bit, um, uh, this is a, a, a little bit of a surprise for you. We always kick off episodes of Good Job Brain with a general trivia segment, which is called <laughs> Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, since, and since I'm the only one here and I have the random trivial pursuit card, Laura, you are the contestant. How are you feeling today as far as answering some trivial pursuit questions? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Let's do it. So do you do, I mean, do you do a lot of uh, of trivia? Do you, have you done pub trivia, things like that? I do. Yeah. That I do crosswords a lot of the time. I switch. I think there's a little bit of overlap in the, the need for general knowledge with that. So yeah, as long as it's not a sports question, that is something I'm trying to beef up on. I never know it. So <laughs> we have, yes. So that was one of the things. So when, um, when, when Karen, who's the host of good job brain, uh, when, when she and I started our pub trivia team, um, we did pretty good, uh, except whenever there was a sports round, we would always put up a zero, right. just a zero. As we sort of secretly started building this, uh, this, 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 this team, the first person that we added was, was Colin, who was another co-host of good job brain. And he was Karen's coworker at the time. And he was a sports guy. So we're like, awesome. you, you need a sports guy. Get on the team. Right? And we went from zeros to tens. We went from zeros to tens every round Fantastic. because he really knew his sports stuff. So you do. So you're right. It's it's it, you, you're either a sports person or you're not a sports person, and you got to bone up on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any sports questions here, so you're <laughs> you're in good shape. So here we go for your blue wedge. Okay. Um, which which airport's international code is CDG? Oh no. Uh CDG pass. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm going to help you get there. This is it's named after a person. Oh, Charles de Gaulle. Yes. So, yes, that's it. Charles de Gaulle. Great. Or or Paris. Paris yeah. Charles de Gaulle. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Um Pink Wedge, which star of the 2015 film Burnt played a similar bad boy chef 10 years earlier on the TV show Kitchen Confidential? That's fictional? 
Yeah, sorry. So it's a weird it's a weird question. This is this is how it's phrased, but you're right, it's a weird question because Kitchen Confidential was the it was the book that became a series by uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh. Gosh, I have no idea. Yeah. No idea. So uh so it's uh, it's Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay. It was Bradley I know, right? Huh. See, we're learning stuff. Today. I am learning. Yeah, I didn't know I that. love learning. I, no I do. This is all I'm filing this away, so. It's Bradley yeah. Cooper, Rocket Raccoon played uh, played Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Okay. Yellow Wedge. Who this? I'm sorry. <laughs> who was who was Ross Perot's running mate in the 1992 presidential election? Oh shoot! Right? It's not Dan Quayle. It's not Dan. But Quayle. That, I know no, that from Animaniacs. Was, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. This is this is a this is tough, and I vaguely I vaguely sort of remember this from 92 when I was 12 years old, yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, okay, sure. I feel like I'm just on the generational edge of not yep, having yep, the actual yep. memory of it. Who was his right? It's so it is Vice Admiral James Bond Stockdale. Did not know that one. I hadn't thought about that since 1992 either. All right, let's go with Purple Wedge. Which eccentric poet friend of Shelley would not allow any of his numerous romantic conquests to eat in front of him? That's got to be Byron. Bingo. Okay. Lord Byron. Great. Yes, would not allow any of his numerous romantic conquests to eat in front of him, but he made an exception for champagne and lobster, saying they were the only becoming foods. Okay. How about that? All right, (laughs) Lord Byron. Green Wedge. How about this? The cacao tree, whose botanical name translates to food of the gods, produces a bean used to make what? Chocolate? Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> cocoa or chocolate. <laughs> a little bit of extra trivia in here. The beans from a single tree produce less than a pound of chocolate a year. Mm. And finally, orange wedge. What signature piece of clothing by a Diane von Furstenberg celebrated its 40th anniversary in 2014? 40th anniversary in 2014. 40th anniversary. Signature piece of clothing by Diane von Furstenberg. The wrap dress. The wrap dress. I did know that That's one. it. Yep. All right. Nice <laughs> job on that one. Whew. Fantastic. All right. Well, excellent job on that one. Very good job to your brain. Um, so let's, okay. So let's, let's get into, let's get into it. We've, we've got you here. Describe an escape room. How would you describe an escape room to somebody? Sure. An escape room is usually a physical mm-hmm. space that you enter into, usually on a team. There's like a timer going. That's that's sort of one of the constraints. It's it's often an hour, sometimes a little bit more or less, depending on the size. Everything in the room is a clue or a puzzle to be solved with the eventual end goal of reaching the end of the puzzle, which used to be would literally escape the room. Like there's like a key to the door. Now mm-hmm. Nowadays that has evolved beyond that. So there's more like you're uh, completing a bank heist or you're freeing somebody from prison or they you know there's some sort of like other diffuse the bomb style end goal that's that's the basic form of them typically you have your escape room company which is that's in portland oregon right (laughs) yep meridian adventure company is the name of it yeah meridian adventure co is is our company here in portland yeah as we're recording this we are still in covid times you've not been running any escape room we actually do have an online game that we just launched called the traveler's guide to little Soderberg. There's a couple of different types of digital escape rooms if you're looking mm-hmm. to play one. One of them is called an avatar game. I have this physical room. I'm placing a person in it and you're controlling them like a first person video game, essentially. You say, oh, pick that thing up over there. Hey, can you please look at this? And 
you know, mm-hmm. so you're controlling the avatar. But it's played by a person. That one, yeah, that type, right. that style is. And then there's also yeah. just straight virtual, which um, is the kind that we have. You basically are on a video call with your friends. It's all through our system, so it's not like on Zoom or something, but you are in a hosted session, and then you go through a series of sort of puzzle adventures through the internet and it's all yeah contained in the computer screen it seems like that would be a really fun um and popular activity for people to be able to see their friends uh you know when they can't see them physically as well right yeah and that's that's one of the tips too is like the room escape artist folks were talking to me about this and they recommend that you not play these games with your regular group because you can kind of see them anytime like these great these games are really good for like your family lives across the country or like your old school friends or people that you would like to hang out with and spend time with but aren't necessarily it doesn't have to be a replacement for the in-person stuff it can supplement it yeah the the book planning your escape as you've said is kind of split into two halves the first half is like this very detailed uh history of immersive entertainment and it really goes it goes back a a long way doesn't it i tie it back to like ancient history right i Uh i uh use an example of um a game that was found in the mohenjo-daro archaeological site i'm sure you will have seen this because it's like super common but it's one of those uh it's like a round maze with marbles in it and you Uh roll it around and you try and get it into the center it's a dexterity puzzle but they found those in the ancient Indus Valley. There's tons of board games from Egypt and stuff. And it's just really interesting to me to look at the ways that human behavior is really not all that different. We want and need the same kind of things. And playfulness is a huge part of that. In the book, though, I, I draw a line between that and um, the game Pigs in Clover, which came out in the 1800s. Um, and it was like a legitimate viral craze. But it's the exact same thing. It was like a little cardboard circle that you roll a little marble around in and try and get it into the center. But it was like super, super popular at that time. And I just, Mm -hmm. in the book, I make the argument that as technology advances, people use that to get together and party, basically, just have lots of fun. And inevitably, gameplay is happening at that time. Um, But, you know, it's also a way for people to find that their power is in groups, right? So there's like a lot of political organization that happens around that. So I just thought that was really like an interesting thread um, that goes through it. The other flip side of that is that the thing that is pretty consistently developing those advances is the military. So gameplay in the military is pretty inextricable. And so that's that's sort of um, the the gist of the historical stuff. It's mm. that makes it sound maybe a little more dry, <laughs> but but um, the 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 kind of thing is like anytime you build like a road, somebody puts an amusement park at the end of it, essentially. So that's that's what the history stuff goes through. And just the idea that like escape rooms are this very novel 21st century sort of form of entertainment that we only started hearing about over the last like five six years or so, but they they have these actually very ancient roots. They didn't just sort of come out of nowhere yeah exactly there's like mm-hmm. elizabethan larp examples you know so people have always wanted to kind of like yeah go into a cool environment and play around in it you know yeah and i mean that's that's really the um the the a lot of the appeal is sort of 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 going into that you know spending that hour hour and a half you know in this carefully constructed space um that is full of mystery and and entertainment and is not real life right yeah 
I, I, I saw you give a speech about escape rooms at one point, and uh, one of the, the first things you noted was that uh, if you see escape rooms on TV, generally um, what you've seen in an episode of a, of a sitcom that where they where all the characters do an escape room uh, is often quite different from what the real thing is in, in some very specific ways. And one of the things you, you said was very often what happens is the one character on the TV show asks another, an escape room, what's that? And the first thing out of their mouth is, well, they lock you in a room. Right. <laughs> and and then, but, but, but they don't in fact lock you in rooms. Yes. Yeah. So this is one of the things like, since I, I run escape rooms as well, like safety is 100% the actual priority it's the number one thing it's it, it's supposed to be this way with any type of in-person entertainment so you, you know safety at a, an amusement park or a haunted house or but yeah we're not allowed to actually lock the door for for fire safety reasons um <laughs> but you want to still have the illusion of you know achieving something significant we sub we sub in other goals for that now <laughs> we did mm-hmm. we did used to lock the door though because before we sort of knew the rule I should say before we um, knew better. Before it it uh, came to the attention, maybe of you know, fire departments and things like that, that this was even a thing that they should be concerned about or talking to you guys about about fire safety, right? Because because it's so new, right? Well, I mean, we always have worked really closely with the city because there's lots of rules and regulations. But when we first, I mean, we were the first ones to ever talk about it with our city. We were the first ones here. And so in a lot of ways, it was like finding the right path together. Technology is a lot better now, too. So today we have stuff like all of our doors are tied into the fire alarm system. So if the alarm goes off, the doors pop open, you know? Oh. Yeah. So that's that's something that we are able to do now that we weren't able <laughs> to do even like, yeah, five, five six years ago. So. So what other stuff does uh, does does TV get wrong about <laughs> um, about the actual escape room experience? What were some things? Because uh, I was going to say, you've actually been blogging about this. Yes. Whenever a TV <laughs> show does an escape room episode, you actually review it and uh, look at what they do and what do they get right? What do they get wrong? What are some egregious things oh. that uh, <laughs> if people might have seen this on TV and they just, you just want them to know that that would not fly in an actual escape room situation? I'd say like 99% of the stuff that's it because it's all always the sitcom you know and and they need to like ratchet up the tension or they use it to like highlight the sort of foibles of a character right and that usually mm-hmm. means they're in horrifically dangerous situations and like d- just digging that all deeper there's a show two broke girls and they go to one i've never seen a room more dangerous than that and like I try to like keep a good sense of humor about these. You know. What are what are some of the things in this room that are like super dangerous? They, do they like jump into the hole they, at some they point? They literally jump. Yeah, there's just a so it's an Alice in Wonderland themed room, and so there's like a rabbit yeah. hole, but the hole yeah. is not a part of the game. There's just a hole, and one of them falls through and finds themselves trapped underneath the stage set. They're like in the sort of crawl space of the of the game room, and they've like injured their ankle. And at the same time, the game attendant has accidentally trapped them, like locked them all in the room permanently. <laughs> he doesn't have the key to get out. Oh my gosh, just safety nightmare. <laughs> so you've so you've talked about um, a, a little bit so far about um, things that you would want people to know about, you know, an escape room that was run by you, an escape room run by a professional group. That that safety is very important. You know, what what else would you want people to know if they were thinking about coming into a room that was run by you? to kind of put their mind at ease or what questions people had yeah well so i would say it basically all comes down to kind of communication and advocating for yourself 
yourself, right? Like if at any point you have a question about something, the people running the room should be willing to answer it. Some games begin with restraints, so like handcuffs or chains, but there should always be a way to free yourself and you should always be allowed to not begin the game in that manner if you choose to. There's so much trust involved in this kind of thing. You're placing yourself into these scenarios where, you know, you're like in someone else's hands. And so it's just good to remember, like, you also can advocate for yourself in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's say that I've never done one before, but now I've decided having listened to this podcast or the first 20 minutes of it that I, I want to do an escape room. What are what are the tips? What are like the three, you know, big tips that you would give to complete total beginners? The first things that you would tell them about escape rooms? Yeah. So I would say first tip is when you're looking for a game, you know, look at the scenarios and, and see kind of what sounds fun, but don't necessarily try the hardest thing at first, right? Like if you've really never done one before, you you want to kind of work your way up to the most desirable stuff. So like, it's totally fine to go play some as practice. If you're very used to puzzles, you probably could start with an intermediate one. Um, but I mean, they're all going to be fun no matter what level, even if it, you find that it's a super easy game, like you're still going to have fun. The second tip actually probably applies to anybody, but like if you're going in, the, in a group, I would say talk about what you want to get out of the experience beforehand right? Do you want to try and rush through stuff? Do you want to like kind of take your time and and like focus on the fun, for, you know, fun versus competitive and just like agree with each other, like make a pledge to each other to be nice <laughs> because these are kind of <laughs> like high stress environments a lot of the time, right? Like the timer's ticking and maybe there's like a siren going or, you know, not the fire alarm, but a in-game kind of thing. And there's like a lot of pressure involved. So I actually think it's very important to agree to be nice to each other. There's strategies like always reflecting back what somebody said, or, you know, if somebody makes a suggestion and nobody else kind of acknowledges it, like you can have pre-agreed that you're going to say, oh, so-and-so said this, we should try it, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Number three is like, yeah, just try and have fun. Ultimately, you know, it's, it's kind of a competition, but it's supposed to be a competition against your best self, right? Like you're not against your own team you're not against the person who made the room so like this is something you know in in sort of competitive puzzling environments that comes up a lot too it's like you really should be having fun and if you're not having fun there's ways to fix that so yeah i try to actually try to have fun yep 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 when my group of friends and i like did our first escape room once we came out of it that's when i think we started realizing a lot of the things that we needed to do to succeed because we had not done those things yeah um and you know just in terms of like being very organized go in and look around the room talk to each other like everybody shouldn't be going in silently sort of looking at everything around the room and just thinking about it to themselves they should be calling stuff out yeah so you have this perspective of you run escape rooms which means that you will spend a day and watch six different teams of people maybe cycle through the same room you know, over and over and over. What are what are some common things that you see people do to to ruin their chances of, <laughs> of winning the game? Finding something and then not telling anybody about it. I often see people open a drawer or a box, observe that there's something inside of it, not say anything, and then close it. And then everybody else on the team has seen them searching it and thinks, well, they would have said something if they found it. And so then they overlook that thing the entire rest of the game until they 
are struggling and they're like, well, why, what, what are we missing? Right. And you have to kind of redirect them to that. And yeah, it's solved with communication. <laughs> I would say team dynamics often come up, you know, sometimes you'll get a team building group from a workplace or a family where one person is sort of more dominant in their personality. They come in, they think that they know everything and everybody else is wrong. You're sort of listening to them making all of these declarations and directing people and they're very rarely correct, actually. Um, <laughs> and it, it just stymies the whole process. And, and again, this is why I feel like it's important to discuss how you're going to like tackle it beforehand. It's it's not fun to experience that and or to watch it. And so, you know, if you're really aiming to go in and be successful at solving, like discussing that type of scenario and how you would handle it and what you would do. Also, a great idea would be like, if you're going in with a team that if there's anybody on the team that you haven't played with before, or if you have different levels of experience, don't just meet up with everybody five minutes before <laughs> the escape room starts. Yeah. Go get lunch before that and make a plan like, we're going to talk about what an escape room is, what we're going to do talk about the strategy before we go in and just get everybody on that same page before you start. Totally. Yeah. Mixed groups of experience levels are like a totally different thing too, right? Because do you want to spoil the experience for a first time player? Or like for me, mm -hmm. I'll often sort of like hold back. If I wanted to just blast through a puzzle, like I could do it, but it's really yeah. a lot more fun to like step back, let somebody figure it out for themselves. It's not that you're like withholding from yourself, you're sort of allowing them to have the full experience. But that also yeah. comes down to if I was with a totally experienced team, I would say, okay, there's a hidden door there, that latch is going to pop open. So we need to listen for that electromagnet releasing that kind of thing. Do you brute force the last digit of a padlock? If, <laughs> right? If yeah, you get yeah. the, la the first three numbers, you can just figure out the last one by trying each in iteration of it, right? Right. And sometimes people get really upset because it, you know, you're skipping over a step and it doesn't feel right. complete, right. even yeah. though the puzzle is, has been solved technically. So that's, that's always stuff to just discuss and agree on. Yeah. Having the, the mixed experience group, I think it's more incumbent on the people with more experience to shepherd everybody and help everybody about what they're doing yeah. versus just doing stuff as quick as they can. Yep. Totally. Because then you're leaving people out and also you might, you still might lose because <laughs> if you leave people mentally in the dust, then they're not, they're not able to help, you know, yep. once the puzzle, you know, goes on. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of, I also wanted to ask about like tips for, okay, you've done some escape rooms. You've won some escape rooms. What are like expert level tips? The other thing I wanted to, to, to mention is that, yeah, one of the things that you have to wonder when you go into an escape room with people, like, do you say, that's that's a hidden door. Right. Or you could not say anything. And when the hidden door opens, if people do realize that that was a hidden door behind a bookshelf, they have a very magical kind of experience. Yeah. So that's a good thing to think about as well, too. Like how how much do you... So what other, what other tips would you say would be good for like people who are not total beginners? How do you take it to the next level? Yeah. So for experts, I would say that's a huge one, right? How much of the magic are you going to try to preserve for yourselves and for each other? At a certain point, there's only so many ways to lock a box. Like I, I talk about that in the book. And so you start to really recognize the sort of familiar patterns and stuff. That does make the really clever puzzles that much more enjoyable because you can be just absolutely delighted by encountering something that's like fresh or new. 
presumably you have like a regular team if you're like doing tons of these mixing that up can be fun sometimes right like a lot of people who travel around and play games in different escape rooms will contact local folks in the areas where they're traveling to and so that's like just a kind of nice way to um, meet and hang out with different people I would also say some of the most fun that I've had in escape rooms was with my expert team and we actually start playing games of our own almost in them. oh yeah yeah okay. um so this is sort of out, outside of the bounds of the book maybe but <laughs> um a couple of years ago some friends and i went to kuala lumpur because they just have tons and tons of rooms there um so it was a group of academics and game designers and curators and we all went and played as many games as we could in a span mm -hmm. of like 10 days and this became a podcast series, right? Yes. Yeah. It's called Every Game in the City. It's the first season of that on the Idle Thumbs Network. Just the most fun that we had was in, in a room where um, we had name tags. It was a sort of classroom murder mystery. One group of our friends played it and they thought we can make a really cool game layer that sits on top of this. And so then when the second group came in, which I was a part of, they gave each of us secret powers and we <laughs> it, it affected how we played the game. And one of our friends was really into role playing. And so we just sort of made the game and the experience our own. Some of the powers that we were given were like, you can't touch anything with your hands or you can only respond to a, a direct question and not say any, you know, not offer any information, <laughs> things like that. Um, right. You know, I'm not necessarily like recommending that for like everybody, but it's it's really just about the kind of spirit of the team and like how you're approaching it. Like you can play a terrible game, uh, like a terrible mm -hmm. quality game and still have an amazing time because you're hanging out with your friends. Um, so that's I you know, it's really just about like finding that kind of dynamic amongst yourselves. That's, I think, really the sweet spot for expert solving. Hints. Mm hmm. My, my my friend group and I, uh, we played what is generally considered to be the first, I think, es like escape room in the U.S., which was Escape the Room by Scrap in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and that was a real mess. Like, that room <laughs> was a mess. It must have had, like, 300 objects in the room that weren't part of the of the puzzles wow. and so it just sucked up a ton of time because rooms rooms typically don't really do this anymore right okay. i mean you don't they don't fill the rooms with tons of tons of junk and uh we got stymied we lost because i think i may have told you this story before um we couldn't find uh an allen wrench and the allen wrench was you know those hotel ice buckets mm -hmm. you know how the hotel ice bucket has a lid on it yeah well if you were to take that lid and if you were to turn the knob on the lid, oh, no. um, the lid would split into two pieces and open up the two pieces and the Allen wrench was masking taped inside the lid. Oh, no. So it, it seemed like a solid object. It was, it was one of one million solid objects in this room. And the important thing here is that, um, A, I'm still mad about it 10 years <laughs> later. B... Um, and B, there were no, there was no hint system right. at this point. Scrap, which was, you know, the, the, the company that innovated and brought escape rooms, you know, from Japan to the US, uh, they prided themselves on their extremely low solve rate. Yes. I mean, they would, we'd get in there and like only 3% of teams have solved this puzzle. And it's like, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, but then, <laughs> but there was no system where you could ask for a hint, but that's very different now. Rooms really are, are expecting players at this point to ask for hints. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'll say one of the only rooms that I've ever failed was a scrap room and it was for a similar <laughs> sort of twist reveal at the end that 
I am also still yeah. mad about it. <laughs> um, so I feel that's you. our podcast. We're going to start still <laughs> mad at crap. I mean, I love their games, but yeah, hints really are actually designed to be taken. And I think that's probably something that's not that obvious if you haven't played a game before, right? Because in a lot of scenarios, hints are penalized, right? Like in a video game or something. Right. Yeah. He might lose points for it or something like that. Yeah. And we had had escape room experiences where I think, you know, sort of like in the sort of in the middle, it was like, oh, well, we'll give you a hint, but then you didn't win. Yeah. We're not going to put you on the wall of fame or we're going to add time. And if you take too many hints, you lose, right. you know? So it was kind of like, well, then we're not going to take any hints at all out of kind of pride. Yeah. But that's, but again, that's, that's sort of not how it is now. Right. Exactly. But it's also like, again, what experience are you choosing to have? Right. It's fun to be yeah. on the leaderboard, but also it's fun to solve the game in a good feeling amount of time. Frustration isn't fun. This is one of the the places where like my perspective running the games, I think helps a lot because for me, I want every puzzle to get solved. I want people to be able to have that feeling of triumph over that thing. And so hints often are not just like, yeah, here's the answer. It's like, try looking at that thing again, or you're very close, keep going, right? I just want to like nudge people just enough so that their brain can make that connection. That's So that's something that I recommend in the book. Like if you are wondering like, am I just wasting my time or am I even remotely close? You can ask for, mm -hmm. for like a confirmation of that. You can say, am I on the right track? Or, you know, if you're entering a combination lock that just like won't go, you can say like, can I, you confirm that the answer is correct? Just get a little bit more information that will help you on your way. Right. So not like solve this puzzle for me. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. You know, you could ask for a hint in a way where maybe at the end, you don't even remember that you would ask for a hint at all. Exactly. So yeah. it's a time-based game. And so saving time is really kind of like the most important um, strategy. You know, if I'm like working on something for like, like five minutes or so, or if I'm watching somebody work on something for five minutes, that's when I say, okay, I'm, I'm wanting a hint, but I will leave it for mm -hmm. like one or one and a half more minutes. Yep. Most of the time people will get it, but if they're not, that's about the point where they're getting frustrated. And right. and so that's when you really want to like, make sure that you're yeah, on the right path or something, because yeah. the time wasting part of it, you know, you don't want to be spending 10, 15 minutes on something if you only have 60 minutes total. You're probably going to have more fun if you took that hint, got over it, and then win. Exactly. With having taken a hint yeah. versus I burned 30 minutes on one puzzle and now we're getting booted out of the room. We didn't even, you know, get very far. Yep. It's like, what what's going to be the better experience for you? Yeah. Now, this gets really important. Before you go into the room with that team, one of the things you got to work out amongst yourselves is... When do we ask for a hint? Who can ask for a hint? Do you have to confirm to the rest of the room before you ask for a hint? That sort of a thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's it's helpful to get a read on the room. You can say, you know, two more minutes on this one and then I'm going to ask, right? So you can like put a timer on it, for example. You do get tunnel vision sometimes when you're like, I feel it. I'm so close, right? That's also kind of on the the game monitor, whoever is watching you to to, mm -hmm. to just confirm like, just keep going or whatever, right? To, yep. to not just yep. sort of reveal it. They should be watching you and sort of crafting that to match your experience as well. One of the things is, so when we first started doing scrap rooms, the way that they did it is they sold you an individual ticket. Right. And they just combined you with random people and put you in the room. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because nobody's, not only do you, can you not communicate with your team, 
you're not on team with anybody. It's just all different groups of people doing stuff. And but very quickly, the escape room business switched over from selling individual tickets to selling because at first when we would be like, okay, listen, we're buying out the room, we're going to make sure that nobody is in that room (laughs) that's not with us. Yeah. And that very, but that's now the standard. Now you just buy the room. Yes. Right. Um, But there are still some escape room situations where you might find yourself paired with randos, right? Or you might, or or it might be, you might be with the family that's got the dad yelling uh, at the kids, but then, and then it's you also, you know, standing on the outside of that. So have you ever, have you played games with strangers and, and had to come up with like, well, how do I on the fly work with people who I don't even know? Yes, definitely. So I I would say generally that has changed as the industry has evolved. Um, Just exactly what you described. Like at first it was just about throughput. So it's like, if we can just make a a huge room and there's 10 people in there, we want to sell every single ticket for this slot and it's going to be kind of good luck (laughs) to everybody in there. (laughs) Um, But, but most rooms probably are, going to be private bookings now, especially post-pandemic or during pandemic or whatever, that's almost certainly going to be like an across-the-board change. That Mm. said, (laughs) yeah, I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, we've kind of solved everything and we're just sort of like watching somebody that we don't really know trying to do something. And I'd say the best situation for that or the best scenario that you can do is like just say, do you want to swap out or like, can I have a look at it? Do not, which I've seen happen, go over and just take it out of their hands, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. you feel like you shouldn't have to remind people of that kind of thing, but then you see it happen and you're like, ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Pol- politeness. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, it's, it's the same kind of thing though. I mean, like most people who go are like, they want to get out too. They want to solve it too. So I, I think generally people are like pretty willing, even if it's like a little awkward at first to get mm. into that flow. I'm going to call out one of my friends because uh, we we went into a room and uh, there was like a music based, it was like a music based puzzle that was like, it had like a, maybe like a, a, a glockenspiel or something like that. And uh, immediately one of my friends is like, my husband has perfect pitch. Right. So, you know, let him do this. I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that this <laughs> puzzle requires somebody with perfect pitch to come in and solve the puzzle. Like it's got to be solvable by just regular people off the street without special knowledge. Yes. Of- you might need to use the periodic table of elements, but you you definitely don't have to memorize yeah. the periodic table of elements <laughs> exactly. before you go into a room, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's the kind of situation where pattern recognition and like kind of knowing generally how things are encoded comes into play because yeah, rooms should not require external knowledge. Like you don't need to know the works of Shakespeare. You shouldn't need to speak French. Like, yeah, you should, you don't have mm-hmm. to read sheet music, but you will see that those are sort of the trappings that are hiding a di- like a level of encoding. I wish, uh, I, right now I wish that, um, that Karen was here, the host of Good Job Brain, because she has a, a wonderful story that I'll just tell you in her absence that she, uh, she did do a, 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 and she was on vacation and she was in an escape room with strangers with a, with a family. And they were like, you know, younger kids, like teens. So there was a cassette tape player in the room. (laughs) So they had no idea what that was. And so she had to actually show them how to load a cassette into the cassette tape player. So for for them, that was a puzzle. And uh, what ends up happening is, so I think it was like an 80s themed, um, you know, sort of room. And uh, she pops the cassette tape in, closes it, pushes play. And uh, immediately the cassette tape starts up and she hears the guitar riff like da 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 da. And she yells at the teens, quick! 
dial the number 8675309 on the telephone. <laughs> and if the teens weren't already confused, <laughs> now they are extremely what is this lady talking about? How did she listen to three seconds of a guitar riff and tell us what telephone number to dial on the telephone? The older people listening to this podcast understand the reference. The teens, look it up, I guess, <laughs> uh, or ask your parents. Um, but yeah, so that that had happened to her. That That's an example of, I think, a wonderful, uh, magical thing happening yeah. in an escape room. Do you have any, you have a great story of like something you did that you felt really great about yourself or it's just something wonderful that happened where? Oh gosh, that's a great question. So most of the time I now I'm just playing with my partner, right? Like we mm-hmm. we try and oh, book yeah. two two player games even if it's like generally yeah. intended for a larger group just because it's fun. Yeah. I can't think of any like particular individual moment but like when he and I are like in that flow state together because we can we have like the shorthand of our relationship. We know each other's solving strengths and weaknesses and stuff so we can just communicate like mind meld style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a f- tricky question because a lot of the time when you play games, like you kind of feel like, oh, I don't think I did anything. Not really. Right. But uh, in, yeah. in truth, you totally did. You know, everybody's contributed yep. to it. And, you know, so <laughs> I'm like, well, oh, you, no, I'm, you know what? Honestly, not, no. if you were if you were in if you were in that room and you played well and you looked around and you found stuff and you helped everybody get everything together and you were um pleasant and you didn't yell at anybody and you encouraged people and you were fun to be with yeah then you helped everybody solve all the puzzles because you created the environment in which they were going to thrive instead of doing what i do and create the environment in which everyone has to kill me again (laughs) because i'm because i'm yelling and flustered so much (laughs) well i guess you know not everybody is gonna have the aha moment of like the lock opens in your hand although i i just thought of a story um we were playing a game where um it was a multi-part room. Um, so this was with a, a third person. Um, so I was in the center. Uh, my partner was in one room and our friend was in the other. And I just, I could see this was the final puzzle and it had to do with like color combinations and flipping switches mm-hmm. on the thing. And I was just like, we are going to nail this, right? And so <laughs> I, I was just like taking notes and working it out while everybody was so, sort of solving stuff. And so then when it all finally came together in the end, I was like, y'all... I got this. And we just, you know, <laughs> yeah. we nailed it. But it was for like a really triumphant narrative moment too. And so like to be in that, like it, it was a magic themed room. It, that did actually feel like we had like nailed the magical part of it. So that was pretty satisfying. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about like common things teams do to hurt themselves. What's some of the craziest stuff that you've seen a team do in an escape room that you were just like, wow, I certainly didn't expect that they would bring in their own sledgehammer and start smashing down the walls, you know? <laughs> right. So I, I would say we play test extensively specifically to try to prevent things like that from happening. We try, yeah. we try to make all of the sort of mistakes like that up front so that we can basically completely close off all of those possible avenues for people. Um, so I, I will share one of the stories from our playtest, um, which taught us quite a lot. <laughs> we had a typewriter in the game and we had a group of game designer friends coming in to test it. And, you know, as, as game designers, there are people who want to explore and test what the boundaries of the game system are, right? Like of there's course. not necessarily any rule until the game pushes back on you. Mm-hmm. The other thing to know is that during a play test, we will let people fail a lot further than we normally would in a game because we want to see the manner in which they're doing the thing, right? Yeah. So 
they're in the room, they're playing around, and they say, "Oh my gosh, a typewriter!" Okay, oh geez, take out the ink strip in it, the ink tape, <laughs> and they're like, "It's going to be printed on here." They'll have you know, yeah. as if the character had typed whatever the message was, and it will be imprinted on the ink, the tape yep. part. But they're holding it in their hands and unfurling it, and they're getting inkier uh-huh. and inkier and inkier. And we were like, okay, we actually have to intervene at this point <laughs> because that was very much not the puzzle. Anytime you are being given a warning up front, right? Like, don't put your fingers in the sockets, don't unscrew light bulbs. Right. There's a. T- it's it's not like it's not like wink wink nudge nudge. Yeah. Don't stick a paper clip into the socket kind of thing. It's like no no no, really don't do it. Yeah, there's a story behind the warning, basically. <laughs> Yes, yes. If you didn't mention this in the book, I, I wouldn't bring it up now, but you do mention um, wearing uh, comfortable clothing yeah. um, to these because you may, I mean, even if it's not like athletic, even if you're not going to be jumping over, um, you know, laser beams and things like that, which I, I have been in escape rooms where they wanted us to jump over laser beams um, and two of us were pregnant. Oh, boy, um, yeah. And, and we didn't win that room. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, uh, even if you're not being asked to actually do sort of athletic or physical things, you might be standing on your tiptoes, looking around a corner, getting down onto the floor, looking underneath things. So you mentioned um, clothing. Um, and specifically called out, make sure that your pants do not like ride down your butt when you when you crouch down yep. something of that nature. I've yep. seen a yep. lot yep. of butts in my time. <laughs> um, yeah, there's yeah, that's very common. The, the tip for clothing in general, though, is like the ideal state that you're in is a flow state, right? Like you forget what you're doing and you kind of forget right. the needs of your body at that time. The way that I kind of learned this personally was um, one time I was playing the game Two Rooms and a Boom. You stand on two sides of a room and like there's kind of a lot of moving around back and forth and stuff. And we played game after game after game of this thing. And it was on a concrete floor, but we were like so swept up in it and it was so much fun. And the next day I was like, I cannot walk. I it was like brutal. And so that just was like a really a, a good reminder to myself, like, when people are in a game, they're like standing up the whole hour or or hour plus even. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of movement that, that not you shouldn't really be asked to like climb on furniture or go up ladders or, you know, but there can be crawling. Mm-hmm. There's crouching, reaching, that kind of stuff. It's it's probably better to wear something that you can move in. And yeah, like do me a solid as the person watching and cover your butt. <laughs> like that would be Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you take anything away from this podcast, it is that <laughs> Laura Hall has seen your butt and she didn't want to and she would rather not have. Yeah. And so let's take some steps to make sure she doesn't have to see it anymore. That would be fair. a kindness, definitely. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, very kind of experimental episode of Good Job Brain. This is our first like one-on-one interview episode. We talked to an expert about something that they are an expert in, and I hope everybody loved it. I definitely really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, the book uh, is called Planning Your Escape by, and your, your name on the front cover is L.E. Hall, yep. like J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, it's available now. It's the perfect holiday gift, I think, for the puzzle fan in your life, the escape room fan, or just buy it for yourself. Laura, where can people find you if they want to know more about all of your various endeavors? Yeah. So my personal website is lauraehall.com. I'm also Laura E. Hall on Twitter. You can check out our 
uh, escape room, if you are ever in Portland or want to play our online game, that's meridianadventureco.com. And both of those sites link directly to places to purchase the book as well. Yeah. So, okay. That's our show. Thank you, Laura, for joining me. Thank you all for listening in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and and all podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic, and then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here.